Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by the full cast. Mike McDaniel, how you doing? Doing well. I'm still uh, working on fixing my good microphone, so bear with me. No worries, at least on my end. Ricky, how do you feel about it? Uh, no technical issue could dampen uh, the ever-flowing, always insightful Mike McDaniel. Uh, he will continue to power through uh, oh, yeah. like he did last week. A minor setback that sets up for a major comeback. Uh, <laughs> you know who isn't going to have a major comeback? <laughs> who, Tech, because they lost both their NCAA tournament games, then women's? Yeah, that's yeah. a shame. Yep, and we'll talk about it. But first, we got to thank the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. And look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. The man, the myth, the legend, Lord Dr. Jeremy Couts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, well. I'll start off by saying I don't think any of us thought that this was an impossible outcome. I mean, they were underdogs in the game. It was a 6-11 game, but ultimately the Hokies played it pretty close for the first half. And then it seemed like after that three quarters of the court prayer, buzzer beater at the half, it was pretty much all downhill from there. Texas came out firing in the second half and the Hokies just weren't. And that was that. Take the floor. What happened? What do you think? Tech looked a lot more like they did, <clears throat> excuse me, at the beginning of the season in this game uh, than they have been looking um, towards the second half of the year when they went on this incredible streak of wins. And um, this this loss, in my opinion, shouldn't overshadow the turnaround uh, that Tech had, but it is a pretty disappointing way to finish the year because a lot of the issues – that we saw at the beginning of the year kind of reared their ugly head once again. Um, Hunter Couture was struggling uh, a little bit there and then started to kind of pick it up uh, at least, you know, towards the rim in the second half. And you kind of were, were always wondering if that was going to key in some success from, from the three point line. And it never really did, although he still finished with 12 points. So you certainly can't blame the man too much for that. But um Tech just never really got anything going from outside. Um, they only attempted what 12 three pointers, which is gotta, I don't, I haven't done the research, but that's gotta be one of the lowest totals of the entire season. Uh, Texas was determined to play extremely physical down low and prohibit some of those kickouts to open shooters. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, lots of turnovers in this game. And that was, that was very frustrating, but um as much as the performance for Virginia Tech was disappointing, Texas deserves credit for playing really, really good defense. And um, they were exceptional on that side of the basketball. And you felt like Virginia Tech's legs were shot in the second half, which was just a, a kind of a, an odd sight after watching them play so many games in a row in the NCAA, or excuse me, in the ACC tournament and looking better than ever against Duke there in the finals. So Virginia Tech just could not find a rhythm offensively for from really start to finish. And um, just a, a really disappointing way to end the season. I, I don't really know what else, what, what other way I can put it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly disappointing. I will say like ACC tournament tech was peak tech, right? Yeah. Against North Carolina, against Notre Dame, and of course against Duke. That was pretty much the ceiling of what this basketball team looked like or could look like. The floor was games against Boston College, against NC Wake State. Wake Forest. Wake Forest. Certain halves that we saw even in games where Tech prevailed. You could think the second half of their second matchup against Georgia Tech. You could think the second half of their first matchup against Pitt. In a lot of those games, they were able to hold on just because the competition was inferior in earlier games in the season, you know, when Tech was consistently losing to decent competition by three or four points, you know, you see the, you know, the spells at the end of the game against UVA the first time they played them. And you saw a talented but imperfect basketball team. And my thought process was 
that's never going to pay off in the ACC tournament. That's never going to pay off in the NCAA tournament. Well, it never came to fruition. Oh, it almost came to fruition in the ACC tournament against Clemson when they lost their rhythm offensively and allowed Clemson to claw back into the game, only emerging victorious because Darius Maddox is the clutchest human being on the planet. But then, of course, it was never a problem against Notre Dame, never a problem against Duke, never a problem against North Carolina. They were playing their peak basketball. And they didn't come out and play their peak basketball against Texas. And in the second half, offensively, Texas did, while still playing that high-level defense that got them into the NCAA tournament in the first place. That was the, uh, unfortunately, the worst possible case scenario for Tech, right? You're out of rhythm offensively. Texas plays their best offensive game. I mean, you had Carr three for five from beyond the arc. You had Jones, who was unreal, five for seven. The team shoots over 50% from three, and, and Tech's not even taking threes. And when they are, they're hitting them in a 33% clip. That's not going to be enough. You know, you can complain. You can say it's cheap. Oh, Texas played the best game of their season, you know, shooting against Justin. I don't think Tech played a great game defensively, but I don't think it was particularly poor. At a certain point, it was almost that deflating nature of, oh my God, they're hitting everything. And anytime Tech showed any semblance of momentum to come back, Texas just threw it back in your face. And you can complain about it, but Hunter Couture going God mode is the reason that Tech made the NCAA tournament in the first place. That's basketball, my friends. Sometimes it's your team. And unfortunately, it seems more often than not for Tech, it's the other guys. Someone, someone tweeted out, I saw on social media, like, you want to know how Duke felt in the ACC championship game? Like, this is how Duke felt. Where, like, Duke wasn't playing particularly poorly defensively, but Tech was making literally everything. And that's kind of how it felt in the second half. I worked with a couple of uh, Texas alums at Sports Illustrated, you know, a few of the editors. Two comments stood out because, you know, I was, I was working while watching this game. Two comments stood out to me. The, the first was that this is the best game that they thought Texas had played under Chris Beard in year one. Like, this was it. This was the best version of Texas that they had seen all year. Second is, you know it's bad if Marcus Carr is hitting jump shots. So they weren't very high on Marcus Carr coming into the game, and he was great. Six of 11 from the floor, three of five from three, had 15 points, hit that unbelievable shot from half court right before halftime. And that was kind of a microcosm of the game. Texas made everything, especially in the second half when they started to make their run to pull away. Virginia Tech did a pretty good job scoring with Texas in the first half. I didn't think this was Tech's best defensive game. In fact, I thought this was one of Tech's uh, poor defensive performances over the last, you know, couple of weeks leading up to the game. Offensively, I thought Tech played Tech played fine at times, especially in the first half. But I thought the one thing that stood out is Tech had Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz, two guys in the front court where they had a distinct advantage in this basketball game, and they simply couldn't get the ball to them. Like the ball denial defense was so good by Texas. They were fronting in the post so well the Tech was unable to get the ball underneath to Aluma and Mutz. When they did get the ball to them, you saw them score with relative ease. The problem is Chris Beard's defensive game plan was so good that Tech could not get the ball into the post. Tech didn't have many open shots the entire game. They only hit four three-pointers as a team. This is a team that relishes and relies on a three-point shot. And, you know, to be honest with you, if Tech's only going to hit four threes in a game, this is going to be the outcome a lot of times. You mentioned that Tech had an advantage in the front court. Um, they were basically even in the rebounding game, and they mm. gave up nine offensive boards, which yeah. translated to 12 second-chance points. And it was a killer. That was a, a really big part of this game. Um, Virginia Tech, when they were able to get stops, they were not able to close out on the glass. And when you're going up against a team that has it's a, their own offensive struggles from time to time, the last thing you want to do is give them extra looks. And uh, there were multiple possessions. Uh, I remember where there were offensive rebounds that turned into, turned into three pointers and um, tech could not afford that kind of gap uh, in second chance points against this team. hundred percent. There was, um, it was either under the under 12 media timeout in the first half or the under eight media timeout. Mike Young was interviewed. He was like, we have to keep them off the defensive glass. He said, we are playing Texas. We have to keep them off the defensive glass. We can't allow them second chance opportunities because Mike Young knew that. And Mike Young said as much after the game, he said, this is not a very good shooting basketball team, but he said, they're very good at everything else. He goes, they don't, they don't traditionally shoot as well as they did against tech. 
Mike Young said the defensive game wasn't as as strong as it had been, you know, in the in the weeks leading up to the tournament. But Ricky, you're exactly right. Like when Tech was scoring with Texas in the first half and they were getting stops, there were too many second chance opportunities. Like that was the big takeaway in the first half. I'm like, okay, Tech's down two at the half. What have they done well? It's like, okay, well, they're scoring with Texas. They're getting enough stops, but they're not converting, right? They they don't they don't get, you know, those one and done possessions defensively like they had been getting. They and they weren't keeping wild. Texas off the glass. If you had told me before the game that Tech was going to go 23 of 26 from the free throw line, I would have bet that they would have won that game just about every time. Yeah. Uh, and they ended up losing by, what, nine? So Yeah, and this was one of Tech's... That's, a, that's a, a pretty shocking stat that Virginia Tech was able to get to the free throw line as much as they, they were convert as many of those free mm-hmm. throws as they did and still lose by almost double digits. One attacks better free throw shooting efforts of the year in terms of both attempts and how many they made. I mean, Tech had actually struggled pretty significantly there in the ACC tournament with making free throws. I mean, we had watched enough of those games. We were like, all right, you got to make some of these down the stretch, right? And Tech had been missing some significant free throws in crunch time in some of those tournament games, uh, conference tournament games. And they corrected that. They shot the ball very well from the free throw line in this game, but they only made four threes. Tech as a team, I mean, it was pretty shocking when looking at the stats afterwards. I mean, Tech shot 49% of the floor overall. It didn't feel that way, though. Um, It it really didn't feel that way because, you know, Tech was down uh, by, what, 15 late. And, you know, they made a couple garbage time buckets that inflates the stats a little bit. But it didn't feel like Tech shot almost 50% from the floor. Uh, It just... Texas took the will out of Virginia Tech's offense. There weren't many open looks. And Virginia Tech doesn't have enough guys right now who can produce off the dribble, so they have to get open via Mike Young's offensive scheme, which had been really, really good. And they were really hitting their stride with that in the ACC tournament. But, you know, Texas really just shut that down, and Tech didn't have enough guys who could create an isolation. Um, and, and that ended up being the difference with Texas making as many shots as they were making. Chris Beard goes out after the game and says the Tech was one of the more talented teams in the NCAA tournament field. Part of that's lip service. But Tech was as hot as any team in college basketball going into the tournament. But you know what? So was Tennessee. And they're a second-round bounce. It is what it is. It's about matchups. It's about who shows up on that day. Would you agree with this statement, guys? If Tech and Texas play a seven-game NBA-style series, it's going to six or seven. And maybe Texas ends up victorious. I'm not so sure that it is. Really? I mean, Texas physically had the advantage on both ends of the floor, I felt like. And six, maybe. But Texas felt like they were they were a not significantly better than Virginia Tech, but they, they, it didn't feel like there was any, any question that the better team won that game. So I'm not... I'm not sure that Virginia Tech, you know, lost this because it was a one-off. I think Virginia Tech is going to lose to Texas more often than not. I don't think Texas is shooting 53% from the floor more than once or twice in most Virginia games. Tech's not going to have 23 made free throws more than once or twice. I mean, they and haven't Tech's done that. Tech's probably in- also not going to only make four three-pointers, you know? Like- but maybe, maybe they would if Texas, if Texas is going to play them that way. And Virginia Tech doesn't show the ability to be able to adjust and still get those attempts off. That's fair. And I think Texas's defense did a really nice job taking away the perimeter. But even only making four threes, Tech lost by eight. You know, Texas made 10. They were 10 and 19 from three. This is a poor three-point shooting team. They made 10 of them. Like, Tech's defense was not great. I didn't think it was horrible, you know? It, it was No, I didn't think Tech's defense was all that bad either. There were a lot of threes. Yeah where they were they closed out correctly and they just went in. Yeah. Andrew Jones is really good. Um 21 points had five three-pointers. I mean, he's he's Texas's best player. You know, he he was averaging I think 10 or 12 points a game coming in. He goes for 21. He's our star player, played like it. Marcus Carr is not a guy who's generally popping off for 15, you know. Um he's very good defensively. And So what's you know, that? They're not Himalayan essentially. 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if he necessarily shoots it as poorly as Naheem Aline does at times, right? Um, Carr, I think, is a better defender. But I would say, yeah, that's probably a pretty fair comp. Probably a pretty fair comp. But, yeah, I mean, they, they were saying it's not often that Marcus Carr is going to make half the shots he takes if he has that kind of volume. So he was confident. He played really well. And, yeah, I think Tech did, did struggle a bit. Uh, especially with, with their guards and their wings rebounding. That was one area of the game that really, really stood out to me. thought Tech did a better job of that in the second half, but there also weren't as many shots to rebound because Texas was making everything in the second half. I definitely agree with you to some. I think that Texas is a better basketball team than Virginia Tech. From what I saw, we do this podcast. I listen to other podcasts. I read everything. And you read over and over again about how Texas's defense is, is stifling and that's their strength. Until I saw their, their ability to cut off passing lanes, it's like that's a nightmare for Mike Young's offense. And we knew that was a thing, but we thought, oh, well, Kevin Aluma can make up the gap. But I, I guess that was wishful thinking. So, yes, I, I give the advantage to Texas. However, like Mike said, they played their best game offensively that they could without giving up anything on defense. They played their average level defense, which is still great. And they played their best night offensively. And you're not going to lose in that situation if you're Texas. And you know, Texas's Texas athleticism just overwhelms Virginia Tech, I thought, in the second half. Like, I think and that's, that's kind of my point regarding, you know, whether or not this would be a series is that Texas has, a, a at least in my eyes, a clear physical athletic advantage over Virginia Tech. They have better athletes. Yeah, and, I agree with that. Um, when when you're going up against a team that has better athletes, chances are you're not going to win very many of those games. Now, Tech obviously went against that that rule, right, against Carolina and Duke in the ACC tournament. Um, but more often than not, athletes win, right? Like it's not it's X's and O's make a big difference, but. The Jimmys and the Joes make a bigger difference, obviously. And that's not to say that Virginia Tech doesn't have talented guys on their roster because they do. But um, some of these guys on Texas just are bigger, faster, stronger players. And that tends to show up more on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, Mike Young, we have seen, is a very, very good coach. So is Chris Beard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like you're saying, Ricky, Chris Beard might have just been working with a little bit more athletically. You you had in the best shooting night they've had all year, and it is what it is. One more thing on Texas, like Shaka had an up-and-down tenure at Texas. He recruited the hell out of the thing, though. <laughs> like, he didn't always get the most out of his talent, but he recruited the hell. And, and Texas was a good team last year under Shaka Smart before he dipped for Marquette. Like, Texas had an early exit in the tournament. They were a really good team last year. They were even a better team last year than they were this year. And a lot of those guys stuck around. And, I mean, Beard's a better coach than Shaka, but Shaka brought a lot of that talent in. And Chris Beard is going to, only going to continue to build on that because we saw what he built at Texas Tech. We know he can recruit. We know he can coach. So that's not a knock on Chris Beard at all. He's just, hey, he hasn't been there long enough yet from a recruiting standpoint. But we know he can do a lot when he's got talented guys, talented athletic guys on his roster. And Shaka recruited a lot of those guys, didn't always get the most out of them. I think Chris Beard did get the most out of them because even if you look at the game last night, we're recording here on Monday, uh, Texas lost last night in the round of 32 to Purdue. They were right with them the entire game. Um, They were leading for a lot of the game, actually. It was real back and forth. And, you know, Purdue ended up winning out in the end, you know, late in the game, they started to pull away. But Texas is a team that hung right with Purdue, one of the best teams in the Big Ten. And... This is a Texas team that is just getting started under Chris Beard. So they're going to be good. They're going to be a problem in the Big 12 for a while. You know, speaking of Purdue, having watched them for two games in this tournament, in my bracket, I had put Tech beating Purdue. That was clearly wishful thinking. (laughs) I think that if Tech plays Purdue, they win maybe one or two out of ten times. There would just be such a wide variety of disadvantages that tech would have to go you know true duke game mode in order to win that game i mean tech tech would have had to guard jade and ivy with who couture i mean jade and ivy's like he's an nba prospect like who is like a top 10 pick potentially 
Who is Tech guarding Jaden Ivey with? Couture? And Couture's a great defender, but is he, can he stay in front of Jaden I mean, Can he stay in front of Jaden Ivey for a little bit? Sure. Can he stay in front of him for 40 minutes? Probably not. Like, who is Tech throwing against Jaden Ivey? That's before you even talk about Zach Eady, a seven foot three guy underneath. And I think it would have been interesting to see Purdue's bigs against Virginia Tech's offense, right? Because now you're getting these bigs against, the, you know, away from the basket. And I think Mutz and Aluma from, you know, 15, 20 feet out have an advantage there. But I think Tech would have had a lot of trouble against Purdue defensively. And, you know, they struggled against Texas defensively. And I, I thought Texas was a more even matchup for Virginia Tech in terms of size, maybe not athleticism, but I thought from a size standpoint, I thought Virginia Tech even going into it on paper had the advantage in the front court. Uh, it didn't play out that way. Tech got out-rebounded badly in the first half. They got out-rebounded um, in the game by four, so it ended up being relatively even. Uh, but Tech struggled with Texas's length with their guards. Like that was the that was what drove the outcome of this game. Tech could not have their guards get the ball underneath to Aluma and Mutz because Texas was so long and athletic and rangy with their guards and their wings. They cut off every passing lane, right? The ball denial defense was unbelievable. Tech's guards were under pressure constantly the entire game. And Texas just kept running guys at Tech. You know, Tech really struggled with that. I think that's what really separated Texas in the second half is Tech continued to miss shots. Yes, Texas made everything, but Tech started to miss shots, and it was more one and done for Tech on that end of the floor. Then Texas would get on the other end, they'd make a bucket, and they just get another stop. And they just built on stops, built on stops. And I think that's the strength of Texas' roster. You even saw it last night against Purdue for stretches of that game. You're like, all right, this Texas defense is a problem. All right, I want to transition a little bit before we start talking about the future and where do we go from here. But the ACC received media flack all year long. Notre Dame wins two games in the NCAA tournament, albeit one of them was in Dayton, Ohio, in a play-in game. North Carolina in the Sweet 16 after destroying Marquette in the most lopsided 8-9 game in tournament history. And then coming back two days later and beating the defending champion Baylor Bears in a game that the refs really seemingly wanted to allow Baylor back into. I didn't mind at the time because of DraftKings, but nonetheless. <laughs> And of course, Duke and Coach K, the two seed in that uh, in that West region, headed to the Sweet 16 as well after a little bit of a scare against Michigan State. The final score doesn't really represent how close Coach K's career came to ending there with four or five minutes left in the game. But they were trailing. They were. I will say, I, I think David Hale at ESPN had the best article describing the game, how the season has been all about Coach K. But in the final few minutes of that Duke-Michigan State game, it was the young players that took over and took the game into their own hands. Like, you can't teach what Paolo Banchero and Trevor Keels and Wendell Kay Moore did. Too. Kay said that. He was like, this wasn't about coaching the last four or five minutes. He goes, you guys can talk about, you know, you know, my coaching and coaching staff's coaching. He goes, this wasn't, this wasn't anything we did coaching-wise the last four or five minutes. He said the young guys took over the game. Yeah. And you know, last but not least, Jim Laranega, still underrated for some reason, has the Miami Hurricanes in the Sweet 16 for what, like the fourth time in his tenure? Yep, fourth time in 12 years. Good God. I think Tech fans, who we all assume we had a pretty good team, can speak to the talent on that Miami roster, but it was SEC Big Ten all year long, and Auburn was supposedly the class of it. Jim Laranega takes him down, and, and it wasn't particularly stressful if you're a Miami fan. So did the national media, and, and I would say the ACC local media as well, have it wrong to some degree about the strength of the conference this year, or was it just that those teams at the top were a little bit better than we otherwise anticipated? Well, the depth of the conference wasn't there, um, and that's one of the main reasons why the, the conference isn't as good as we thought it was, um, I'm, I, I think so much of it's just that March is a crapshoot. And, you know, over a long, you know, season, you can really get a better idea as to what or how good a conference is. It's harder to do that over a weekend of games. Now I understand that those are neutral games and you're playing from folks in different conferences and that's fair. 
Um, but so much can happen in those situations. We all know this. So I'm still inclined to think that the ACC had a pretty down year, all things considered. Uh, but sure, they, they've been you know much better in the tournament. Um, Duke is always going to be an issue in the tournament just because, you know, those are those are guys that are getting a lot closer to the big time for them, which is the NBA draft. And they're really starting to kick it into high gear. Also, they've got the most experience under their belt and they're, they're probably more gelled now than they have been all season. Um, and you're always going to have teams that kind of come out of nowhere every single March that you wouldn't otherwise uh, suggest. And Notre Dame was certainly one of them for two games. Uh, Miami has been one of them for all of their inconsistencies this year. North Carolina, same boat, a talented team that's been very, very up and down for much of the season. So I'm I'm still inclined to think it's been a relatively down year for the conference, even though they've had success uh, so far through the weekend. Yeah, and I think a lot of the a lot of the thoughts from media on the ACC this year was built on the fact that like the conference was not very good in the regular season. I mean, it just wasn't, the depth wasn't there. That was 100% the reason why the ACC is viewed the way that it is, you know, going into the tournament is because teams like Louisville, teams like Florida state, um, teams like Virginia tech up until the final couple weeks weren't playing as well. UVA missed the tournament, right? They, their mainstays in March, like, those teams either didn't make the field or barely made the field. And they were expected to be probably a lot better than a lot of people thought. Um, and, and so that's kind of what shaped the media narrative going into the tournament, which I thought was fine. Now, the one thing I will say also though, with that is that I think the, I think the media probably underrated um, how good, you know, North Carolina can be and how good Duke can be and how good a Notre Dame or a Miami can be. And I think that's part of the reason why they kind of snuck up and surprised some people. Now I wouldn't say that these coaches they're going up against are necessarily surprised that they lost these games to those schools. I mean, these, these coaches aren't dumb. They know what they're dealing with, right? Even if the media says the team hasn't been good all year, they don't care. They see, you know, what can hurt them, right? Going into a tournament game and Miami has been really good. Their guard play has been really, really good. And I believe that, you know, March is about luck. But to, to that extent and that end, there's also comes a point in time where you look at it, you say, you know what? That team just beat the crap out of the other one, right? How much luck was really involved? Now, you see St. Peter's beating Kentucky, right? And St. Peter's has a historic shooting game, right? And it's not going to happen a ton. I disagree. I think St. Peter's is genuinely the better team. <laughs> so you have things like that happen. And that's then you why the coach to- is about to bounce to Seton Hall. <laughs> no, honestly, great timing for Seton Hall to have your coach bounce because you have such a clear replacement. Yes, exactly. Easiest coaching search ever, by the way, to bring in Shaheen Holloway. Um, but like, then you look at the game, you know, Miami and, and, you know, playing Auburn in the round of 32, you're like, okay, Auburn is clearly the better team. And then they tip off and Miami dominated that game from start to finish. They were up almost eight to 10 points the entire way through. And then the second half, they're blowing the doors off Auburn. Auburn quit in the second half. They quit because Miami was beating them so bad. So I think there's an element of luck in terms of like matchups and stuff like that. Teams get hot, historic shooting nights, that sort of thing. But then there's also like, you know what? Bruce Pearl just got out coached. His team quit. And there's an element to it where some of these coaches just get the most out of their teams when they get to the tournament. Like Mike Bray is a pretty good tournament coach. Jim Laranega, pretty good tournament coach. Hubert Davis, it's year one. Turns out he's a pretty good tournament coach because UNC hadn't been playing this well all year, right? Um, they, they had their moments like against Duke at Cameron to close out the year, but they also had games like, you know, we saw against Virginia Tech where they didn't really play that well. So it's been up and down, but Hubert Davis, you know, so far so good. Coach K, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the narrative was built off of the poor regular season for the ACC because a lot of teams that they were, you know, a lot of people were expecting to be good didn't really pan out. But I also think that the peak of some of these ACC teams is a lot better than what people thought. Here's what I'll say about the ACC, right? 
in late, late January when Virginia Tech had just lost on that heartbreaking buzzer beater shot to Miami. And we basically said on this podcast, we need to stop talking about the tournament until this happens. And that was beating Florida State, Georgia Tech, the back-to-back against Pittsburgh, and Syracuse. We said if they can win those five games in a row, then maybe we can start talking about the tournament again. And they did. Then they went on to beat Syracuse and UVA before losing to North Carolina. Of those seven wins that I just mentioned, none of those teams made the tournament. Virginia Tech went on a seven-game ACC winning streak against non-tournament teams. That would be damn near impossible in any other year when the ACC is sending eight, nine teams to the NCAA tournament. So when the bottom isn't there, it's obviously going to ruin the perception of the conference, especially in a world where so much of public perception is based on these computer rankings that aren't getting helped much by a win or two against Pittsburgh. I think that's the position that we're in. And maybe that's why, I mean, Duke was fantastic all year in the ACC regular season. Notre Dame in the regular season from the ACC, pretty consistently very, very good. I think that their poor net ranking is really what does them in and makes them play in that play-in game. And I think that they might have a more compelling argument than even Virginia Tech claiming they were underseated. But at the end of the day, when, when your opponents aren't doing you favors, you have to do so, so well in, in order to make up you know, for, for their lack of performance because your, your wins aren't considered to be worthy of amounting to much. I mean, and, yeah, just and look at Michigan, it. right? Michigan's in the same boat. They, the only reason they made the tournament is because their conference strength of schedule is astronomically high. And um, they're making the most out of it, right? Like <laughs> Michigan is certainly uh, doing the most with the opportunity. But yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Virginia Tech, um, with if their if their resume did not include you know the all important ACC championship, then that resume, uh, which was twenty plus wins and um, a plus five hundred record in the conference, that's not getting them in the tournament this year. Now, two years ago, yeah, that probably would have gotten them in, uh, but not this year. And uh, thankfully, they had a, a championship in their resume, so we could actually have March basketball to talk about that doesn't include an NIT game against North Texas. I have a question. Are we the first podcast in the history of podcasts to have two members get old takes exposed within a five-day period? Because Ricky got an old takes exposed uh, like Saturday night, I think, after Virginia Tech won. But see, that's I, so stupid. I right? got old like, takes exposed. It's so, it's so dumb because everyone knew mine. that. And they're, like I, I wrote about this after Virginia Tech won the conference championship. Anyone who tells you that they seriously thought Virginia tech was a contender for the ACC tournament is lying. They're, they're lying to you. They're, they're, they're engaging in revisionist history and they don't, they're just trying to dunk on people, which you know what, fine. That's what Twitter's for, but uh, they're all just lying. In your particular tweets case, your, that particular tweet, I agree. I deserve mine. I said, what was yours? I basically said, so Michigan was down like 17 to Colorado oh, State. Oh, that's right. And I and said. You made a comment about them being like a NIT 11 seed or I something? Said, I said Colorado State probably underseeded <laughs> as a six, but Michigan makes one hell of an NIT 11. And I thought it was a real, I thought it was a great tweet. At the time. I mean, it at the time it probably was. No, but, um, no, it was never one because Mike is the kiss of death. Um, <laughs> I've been old takes exposed too. If you guys remember back in uh, September I, of 2020, and this is stupid and I regret doing this. I was probably maybe had a few drinks and I was just pissed that college football was taking too long, but I took a shot at NC state for <laughs> getting COVID and delaying our game. <laughs> and it turns out oh we were God. the ones that had COVID. That's the worst one out of yeah. three, I think. If you tweet enough about sports, you're going to have some pretty brutal takes. Yeah. <laughs> That's life. <laughs> I mean, it was a shame because 
I thought mine was an absolute bop. And then like an hour later, it was for like were, five minutes. My mentions were a disaster. I, I, well, I mean, first of all, what a comeback by Michigan, but nobody could have possibly had seen that coming. I mean, they were getting the doors blown off of them. I was like, this game's over. Yeah. You know, they were down by what, like 15 points, something like that. Yeah. Colorado state forgot how to play basketball. Like, I don't know what happened after halftime. Michigan was really good though, and they were damn good in the second round too. Yeah. So shout out to them for destroying my well, I have two brackets, and one of them has three Final Four teams left: Gonzaga, UCLA, and Arizona. With an Arizona beaten Gonzaga final, which just so you know, still very much I on the lost team. Uh, two of my Final Four on the first night. Iowa, Kentucky. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I lost my third Final Four team uh, over the weekend in Illinois. So I'm now down to Gonzaga, which, look, I have completely just blew up. I don't care about my bracket. I haven't even checked it since uh, since Kentucky lost. So I was like, all right, <laughs> this isn't even worth it now. I'm not even going to, like, I don't care. Like, I just, I just pissed away $20. That's fine. You can bury my uh, Tennessee beating Iowa in the final bracket. Right next to Mike's tweet, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. Right beyond it. Tennessee was the hot pick, man. They were. I mean, look, the Tennessee was the SEC tournament champion. Virginia Tech was the ACC tournament champion. Iowa was the Big Ten tournament champion. Who won the Big East? Uh, Villanova won the Big East. Okay, Villanova. I thought it was Creighton for a second. But regardless, uh, Providence, you have. Providence won the regular season. Villanova won the tournament. And by the way, everyone sours on Providence because they lost. Sometimes this is right and sometimes this is wrong. But everyone really takes conference tournament performance into serious consideration. Like Providence got the doors slammed in on them by Creighton. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to lose to South Dakota State, myself included. Yeah, I picked um, South Dakota State <laughs> as, the, as, as well. an upset there. That was a mistake. <laughs> And the disrespect towards Houston. Like at this point, like you have to just pick random shit in your bracket because that's basically what happens in real life. I just will never get the Houston disrespect coming into the tournament from the selection committee, giving them a five seed. I wonder if it's because they were like a dud last year. I thought they made the final four last year. They did, but their regular season was real up and down. There was a final four team returning a lot of guys. They're like, yep, five seed. But I mean, here they are. They have, I believe, like the third or fourth highest national championship odds on DraftKings right now, higher than Duke. Yeah, they're good. Um, I did have Houston beat. I did have Houston getting into Sweet Sixteen. I did. I did get that correct. Um, now, I regret not having him go further, but is what it is. Easy to say now. So I guess Tech basketball. Looking forward, we should probably talk about that. We'll start it off with two of the key players. I mean, Storm is gone. And before we even say anything about the other guys, shout out to Storm Murphy. You know, no one took more flack. I mean, he was put in a situation probably because of you know, the fact that he was a Southern Conference player of the year and that Kevin Aluma had stepped in as a Wofford transfer and just totally exceeded everyone's expectations. Expectations were so high for Storm. He got a lot of flack. He wasn't playing his best, but ultimately in the ACC tournament when he really mattered, my sister was at the ACC tournament watching Tech for the first time. She's like a Division three point guard. She she knows about basketball. She's like, wow, this Storm kid is really, really good. Like, he's electric. Wow, we love him. And I'm like, yeah, it's been a long journey to get to this point. But Storm will uh, – he's a forever ACC champion. The uh, Whoever caught it – I forget who caught it. The ACC championship trophy in the little edit pick for when he transferred to Tech – Goal set, goal achieved. Shout out to him. A little miniature tech legend uh, in his own right. But Aluma and Mutz, the two bridge pieces who were kind of supposed to be the the Zach Lidey, Seth Allen, and really ended up accomplishing a whole lot more. Both have an extra year of eligibility remaining, though it is that COVID year, and both those guys, if they were regular students at this point, they would probably not want to be in college anymore. Do we think there's any chance those guys come back? I think there's a chance. I don't know how big it is. Maybe I'm wrong on Aluma, but I'm pretty confident in saying that there isn't an NBA future for Justin Mutz. I'm not sure there's an NBA future for Aluma, although I think he has more of a future than 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 Justin does. 
my philosophy has always been, you know, if you're, if you're not guaranteed a shot in the NBA, why not take every year you can get in college, especially when you're going to be able to start every game. If Mutz and Aluma come back, they're both starting next year. Right. I mean, there's, I don't think there's any, any question there. So why not come in and experience that one more time? I mean, both Justin and, and Aluma have enjoyed their tenure in Blacksburg, obviously. From my perspective, I don't I don't see why they wouldn't want to stay, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, Virginia Tech would certainly benefit from having them back because if they're not back, this is an extremely young team next year uh, that is probably going to have a lot of growing pains. Um, and having those two steadying forces around would certainly make things a lot easier for for some of the younger guys who are, are going to be expected to step up and take on huge roles next year. Yeah. I mean, I think they have professional futures. I'm not sure if they'll be playing in the NBA, either one of them. Um, I think it's, I mean, a, a lot of guys have futures overseas. There's, there's yeah. so many, there's so many leagues and teams that are outside the NBA and look, you can make pretty good money over there. I mean, just ask Malcolm Delaney who has uh, made a killing in Europe and he's, he's won like what three season MVPs. And you know, you, you don't even have to be Malcolm Delaney in order to make a good living over there. But with that said, there is going to be no bigger stage of basketball for Justin Mutz than the ACC, I think. Um, I'm not sure about Aluma because, again, I think he has a potential chance in the NBA because he's a bit taller and because he's so skilled on the perimeter. Um, but, yeah, I just I, – I'm not sure. I think NIL might change the equation a little bit. I don't know – you know what their earning potentials are, but yeah, I'm not sure. Obviously, either. Virginia Tech fans are high on basketball. I don't think they'd ever be any higher than they are right now. Yeah, with that being said, I mean, you know, Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma both would be going into either their sixth or seventh year of college, respectively. I could understand the desire to and go out sure the way Justin, that they did. I'm pretty sure Justin's already got his master's. I think he's so like, currently going for his second master's. His second master's, yeah. So, like, I mean, academically, the guy has accomplished almost as much as you possibly can. Uh, I'm not sure what KV's academic status is, but I keep coming back to, like, this is like an opportunity to enjoy your time in the sun for one more year with a coach that you obviously love and respect. You're going to – Virginia Tech, you know, theoretically was would be in big-time situations next year if they return, but – yeah, if I were 24-ish years old and I would still have a chance to play college basketball, I don't know what I would do. I really don't. I I, I certainly won't won't dog them either way for what they decide to do. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. They're, they're, be more cool than, if they came back. they're more than welcome to come back. <laughs> they would be cool if they came back. <laughs> we would love them back, but no one's going to. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to have no any hard feelings if if they decide to do something else. I mean, text... not getting the Landers Nally treatment in Blackford. No. <laughs> I mean, on, quite honestly, Tech, if they get Aluma and Mutz back, and you know, we know what Padula is. Assuming, you know, again, I don't know who transfers, who doesn't, whatever. You know, let's just think that the roster is going to be the same, which is not, but think that everybody returns except for storm. It's like, and then you think about who's coming in. I mean, tech would potentially be nationally ranked going into next year, but I think at the very least would be like a top 35, top 40 team going into the year. They'd probably be picked what fourth or fifth in the ACC again, like they were this year. I think they were picked fifth. I mean, tech's probably going to be picked fifth again if they returned everybody, but storm. Right. So be feeling pretty good about things. I think if, both of them returned. I don't know how likely it is, though. They would almost certainly be ranked preseason if Aluma and Mutz came back. I just don't find that to be particularly likely. To your point, the roster's not going to be the same. Are there any players that you really feel you believe are going to transfer? You know, at a certain point, guys aren't going to stay on the bench for too long in college basketball. And probably in this next two, three weeks is when we're going to learn who those guys are. But... I've heard a lot of people very nervous about the potential of Darius Maddox leaving. If he doesn't leave, does that mean Naheem Aline leaves? Um, some of the lower guys on the bench, I feel like are more inevitable in a sense, but what do you guys think? I think Ojiako leaves. I think there's definitely potential for Maddox to transfer. If he doesn't think he's going to get a bigger role, because he's, he's no, he knows what he's capable of, right? When he, when he does play a good bit, I don't think Aline transfers, 
I, I just don't really see it. I don't know, unless he just wants to change, but he's playing like 35 minutes at Tech in May TC. I'm not sure if that makes much sense. I don't think David Gusan transfers because ultimately I think Mutz or Aluma, maybe both do leave. And I think David Gusan's going to have a much bigger role next year. So I, I don't think he leaves. Um, it's possible, you know, it's possible, especially if they come back, you know, maybe he, he says, you know what, I'm going to, I might dip out if they're both coming back. So I'm not going to play as much. And I know that. So then maybe that that's when he transfers, but the, the two I would worry about, I think, I don't think anybody's going to necessarily worry about Ojiako because it wasn't really a factor in the rotation at all. He played, you know, once every like six or seven games for like five minutes. So I think, you know, Darius Maddox is the obvious one to, to be concerned about. It would be a shock if Padula transfers because it's probably going to be the starting point guard next year. So that's where my head would be at. If I'm a Tech fan, I'd be a little bit concerned about Maddox. Virginia Tech needs to do just about whatever it takes to make sure that Darius Maddox stays he is one of the only guys on this roster that I feel really, really comfortable creating their own shot. I think he should start next year, uh, quite honestly. I think he's ready for a bigger role on both ends of the floor. My guess would be that either Ojiako or Lynn Kidd will transfer. Ojiako, there's a, I don't know what his academic status is. It's possible that he might have been able to get his degree in three years. Um, cause my understanding is that he is a third year junior. So it's, it's certainly possible he could go and, and, and start right away. I will say Jalen Haynes is a possibility, um, as someone who didn't really get any look at all this year. Uh, I really hope that David Gasson stays, but I am nervous about him playing a bigger role next year. He, he did not take the jump offensively that, Virginia Tech was kind of planning on him making this year. And I'm not really sure if that jump is possible for him. I don't know if it's in his skill set. He's obviously very athletic and he's long and that's that's good. And I think he can be a pretty a pretty solid defensive player. So there's certainly value there. But in watching Gasan this year, I never really got the feeling that Gasan was capable of being an offensive weapon. Um and that that's a bit concerning. So as it goes with Aline, it's possible he could transfer if, if Maddox is the, the guy who slides into his spot. I think that's certainly a possibility. Although given Aline's tape, I would be surprised if there were an opportunity for him at the power five level. I think he would have to jump down to a mid-major if he wanted out of Virginia Tech and wanted consistent playing time. I think the the real spot though is either Ojiako or Kid. I don't think both of them come back. I think one of them is going to be out the door. And you know, who knows? Maybe there's something that really catches us off guard. Um, I'm not sure who it would be given this roster. I, I think that I think the the one that would be the biggest impact though would be Maddox if he leaves. I think that would be a huge, huge disappointment given the uh hype and the promise that surrounded both Maddox and Joe Bamasil just a couple years ago. I mean, those guys were supposed to be the foundational building blocks of Mike Young's tenure at Virginia Tech. And one of them is out the door and the other one didn't really get a serious look uh, toward until the second half of the season of his sophomore year. Any final thoughts? Basketball season has come to an end. Uh, I think it was the most fun basketball season that we've done on this podcast together. I, I encourage people. I, I texted this to Mike the other day and we were talking. If you just read the podcast titles in 2022 for Hokie Hangover, it is very descriptive of the journey <laughs> that Virginia Tech basketball and their fans went on. Certainly something special. No one will ever forget it. Final thoughts from you guys. So really quick shout out to uh, Tech Women's Basketball. I know they lost um, in the first round of the tournament, which was disappointing, but they had a really good year. Um, unfortunately, Liz Kitley had a career game, like 40-something points, and they still couldn't win. That was frustrating, but uh, getting to the tournament is, is still an accomplishment, um, and they played some really good teams down the stretch really close, and I, I give them give them credit for that. Also, um, Makai Lewis, runner-up uh, in the NCAA, 
uh, wrestling championships at 174, I believe. I watched that uh, match live, and he was so close to pulling it out, but seemed like he kind of ran out of gas towards the end. But shout out to him as someone who was close to quitting wrestling just one year after becoming a national champion and um, was hurt last year, comes back and uh, finishes second place in his weight class. He's clearly one of the best uh, in the country and, and maybe even the world. Um, so, and of course it is March 21st, which means spring practice has started for football. So this podcast will be taking a, a turn to the gridiron once again. Also rate, review, subscribe. I have nothing left to say. Good season. Good basketball season. <laughs> didn't end up how we, it didn't. Uh, it kind of ended how we thought it would, but how we got there was. Yeah, how we got there was a absolute, <laughs> absolute kinda, cluster. I mean, we didn't expect we didn't expect an ACC championship, but we kind of expected you know a team to get into. We the expected tournament. an NCAA tournament bid, and got we there. weren't sure if they were going to win. Yeah. Um, that is funny though, right? Because through it all, if you had asked me before the season even started, what is the most likely outcome for this Virginia Tech basketball season? I would have said probably losing the first round of the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Half the teams get eliminated that day. <laughs> probably good enough to make it. Don't know if they're good enough to make a run, but you know, I'll just say you know, all the credit in the world to these kids. We were down and out on them. No one thought they had a chance. They just put their nose to the grindstone and worked every day, knowing that they were capable of better than what they had accomplished to that point. And ultimately, their place now is in history. An ACC tournament championship banner will hang in the rafters of Castle Coliseum forever. And that is pretty darn cool. It's a good lesson in and out of basketball, right? Just keep working. Keep doing what you're doing and eventually... You have a pretty good chance to get where you want to go. We are the Hokie Hangover Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Football talk on the way. Hang in there. Until then, go Hokies.